Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another spectacular episode of Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Em? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your law-abiding hosts tonight, and joining me tonight as my legal counsel are three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and we all picked issues with a four in them, and there's four of us, so we're doing this to celebrate the return of the Fantastic Four, right? Yes, obviously. Okay. Where, where's the other where's the other two? Oh, hey this is Justin. <laughs> hey this is tony and you think your girlfriend's crazy yeah matt's girlfriend is really crazy yeah i don't i don't want matt world problems you know right <laughs> so yeah i guess it, in case you haven't figured it out from all the not so subtle hints that we've been dropping we're actually doing a stories from the spinner rack episode on daredevil the intention is to tie this into the release of Daredevil Season 3, whenever that's released on Netflix. But, you know, who knows? This will be out probably the same time as when you are watching Daredevil Season 3. And we've each brought uh, a Daredevil comic book of our own selection tonight. And, of course, we're going in chronological order. So that puts me in the hot seat because I like old Daredevil comics, or at least the, the oldest one of this bunch. And my pick for tonight is Daredevil 234 with the cover date of September 1986. And the actual on-sale date was May 27th, 1986. The cover price was a whopping 75 cents, 32 pages. The cover credits belong to Bill Skinkevitz and the inker was Klaus Janssen. And the writer is Mark Grunewald. The penciler, or or I guess, you know, breakdowns, was Steve Ditko. And the finisher, inker, was Klaus Janssen. And the title of the story is called Mad Casting. And just to get into the synopsis, and then we'll discuss it. Late night in Manhattan's Garment District, a group of crooks, gun-running, are stopped in their tracks by a strangely dressed assailant who calls himself Madcap. As Madcap leaps down, smashing a box crate with his left foot, the impact breaks his hip bone. 
As Madcap swats away one of the thugs, he simply snaps his broken bone back into place and leaps into action. The crooks pull their pieces on the crazy, ultra-fast healer and end up shooting their own men as Madcap jumps out of the path of the oncoming gunfire. However, one of the goons finally lands a direct hit to Madcap's chest. This, of course, does not phase Madcap in the least, and he slams two of the crooks' heads together. Another two crooks come up from behind Madcap and hold him down, demanding to know how the yellow and purple-garbed wackadoo knew about the heist. Madcap then uses hypnotic suggestion via his glowing yellow eyes to confuse and befuddle the crooks. They fire off a few shots before they devolve into acting like chimpanzees, grunting and crawling on all fours. We now can see one of the bullets actually hit Madcap directly in the center of his brain, but he is clearly unfazed by this development. Madcap leaves the heist gang behind as they continue to act like idiots thanks to his maddening eyes. By sheer happenstance, a cable TV cameraman by the name of Dollar Bill is also in the vicinity and was trying to find the source of the gunshots. Madcap directs Dollar Bill to the devolved goons who continue to act like fools, throwing around stolen goods and smashing packing crate wood into one another. Dollar Bill takes Madcap to be a crime-fighting vigilante who he can make into his next big story and so begins a beautiful friendship. Also on his nightly patrol is Daredevil, the man without fear, who uses his radar senses to locate the hypnotized loony goons. Daredevil can barely interrogate the incoherent mobster before he hears the wail of police sirens. As Daredevil makes his leave, he overhears the cops say the state of the mobsters reminds him of a quote-unquote Looney Tune named Madcap who quote, made people go nuts somehow. Daredevil decides to investigate Bellevue Hospital, which was Madcap's last known location. Meanwhile, the underworld crime boss, The Rose, is informed about Madcap messing up their gun shipment. The Rose puts out a hit on Madcap, 5,000 big ones for anyone who kills the yellow and purple costumed interloper. When Daredevil shows up at the hospital, the nurse is frightened and refuses to answer any of his questions truthfully. Daredevil can quote-unquote hear the nurse lying by way of her erratic heartbeat. Also, Daredevil's heightened senses detect she's set off a silent alarm. When some rough-and-tumble orderlies appear on the scene, Daredevil tells them he's leaving. Luckily, Daredevil's enhanced hearing gives him the information he was looking for just by standing right outside the hospital doors. The nurse and orderlies discuss that the John Doe, known as Madcap, recently walked right out of the hospital last night. Elsewhere, Madcap is a guest of the cable access The Dollar Bill Show and demonstrates his healing superpowers by stabbing himself in the stomach with Dollar Bill's kitchen knife. Daredevil later gets the skinny on Madcap from Ben Urich and a local snitch named Dennis that a hit has been placed on Madcap. The next day, Dollar Bill is filming a day in the life of Madcap on the city streets. Informants are going crazy on the payphones as they see Madcap strolling down the sidewalk. Just then, thanks to the payphone informant, a taxicab runs down Madcap in the middle of the street. 
Though by all rights, Madcap should be dead, he jolts up from the ground as if nothing serious has happened. Of course, Madcap's resurrection is all caught on camera by Dollar Bill. No longer trying to make the death of Madcap look like an accident, mobsters come out of the woodwork to gun him down. Daredevil, who is finally caught up with his intended target, drop kicks one of the goons as Madcap hypnotically zonks out the other two attackers. Daredevil somersaults onto a moving car to get away from the effect of Madcap's inhibition-dampening stare. Some other mobsters hold Madcap at gunpoint and force him into the back seat of their getaway car. Daredevil interrogates one of the remaining henchmen to find out where they're taking Madcap. They take Madcap to a secret hideout, unmask him, tie him up, and gag him. A man named Max the Axe starts to chuck away at Madcap tied to a post. Daredevil uses his acrobatic skill and fighting prowess to defeat all of the goons at the secret hideout. Daredevil can smell the overwhelming stench of blood from Madcap getting hit with the axe blows and throws an oil barrel through the window for quick access to Max the Axe. The mobsters outside shoot at Daredevil as he leaps through the window and wind up hitting the oil barrel instead, which is leaking all over the hideout. Daredevil slams Max the Axe's jaw with his billy club and then rushes to free Madcap. Before Daredevil can get to Madcap, a Molotov cocktail is thrown into the hideout. While Daredevil catches the first Molotov cocktail, he cannot stop the subsequent one that follows. Daredevil is shocked to discover that as he begins to free Madcap among the burning building, that he has no serious wounds to speak of. Madcap tells Daredevil to save Max the Axe, who is not invulnerable and lying on the floor unconscious instead of himself. Daredevil's radar senses reveal that Madcap isn't lying, and he decides if he can only get one of them out of the fire, it will be Max. Meanwhile, Madcap lets himself burn while singing a twisted version of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Five hours later, the fire is out and the charred remains of Madcap are pulled from the wreckage. But later that night, we see a practically naked Madcap at the door of Dollar Bill's cable TV studio. Madcap's skin and hair grew back while he was stuck in the morgue, and Madcap makes himself the co-host of the cable access TV show that he now wants to call the Madcap Mystery Hour. The end. So yeah, this is this is my first issue of Daredevil that I ever bought. This was a... I, I'm pretty sure this was bought at the thrifties here, like, in, in this city. So, like, this is one of the earliest, like, sort of spinner rack, I guess, you know, sort of pre-comic book store, but kind of me officially collecting comics, you know, like, kind of going through a spinner rack and trying to pull stuff off the racks. And I think the main reason why this stood out to me was probably, it was probably because I was fascinated by the design of Madcap, but it was also because I recognized Daredevil. Like, I had never read a Daredevil comic book, but since I had all the Mattel Marvel superhero Secret Wars action figures, and one of them was Daredevil with his billy club, like, I knew who Daredevil was. So I was kind of like, oh, I know this guy. Like, let me read his comic book. And so I picked it up, and I read it, and I, I think that's always... I mean, I've made no secret on fan holes. We've talked about this before when... We talked about, I think, in some of our earliest episodes about kind of your your favorite 
you know, kind of obscure uh, B-list characters or whatever. And and for me, you know, Madcap at Marvel was always that guy. You know, he was that guy I kind of thought was a bigger deal than he actually was. Or, I, you know, I just kind of took him to heart. You know, there's stuff like, I, I, I was kind of disappointed when they revealed, I think it was like, I forget what the name of the character was, but it was like Daredevil in Earth X, where it was like, it was kind of like this combination between like Ghost Rider and Daredevil and whatever he was. And I was convinced that the Daredevil in Earth X was actually Madcap because he had like these insane healing powers. And I was like, well, who else could it be but Madcap? And I think later, just due to his insane popularity it was revealed to be like deadpool in some like earth x special or something like that which i i think in my own head canon i don't care about that like i'm like he's madcap bro he's madcap like because you know madcap was actually in a daredevil comic so but anyway and knew who daredevil was but you know so that's always made more sense to me but Anyway, I guess I guess I'll open it up to you guys. I'm not sure if you guys have ever read this before or if this is like your first time reading it, but I, I'm kind of open for for you know comments and questions. I've never read this before, but like I can definitely see where like like I guess Madcap is kind of the proto Deadpool almost. It seems like like and I can you, you know what's weird about that? Like not only like in reading this now, like not only do I kind of think he's the proto Deadpool, like I kind of think he's the proto Speedball. Like I know that's kind of strange to say, but like given like the the way Madcap looks when he unmasks that he's kind of like this young skinny blonde kid kind of like speedball was and then given the track record of what happens to speedball after civil war where he goes all penance and stuff like and is like cutting himself constantly like they i don't know like for some reason like in retrospect i i feel like there's this strange correlation like they're they're kind of weird ersatz versions of one another and ditko was involved with this issue too yeah that's what i mean like there's there's that kind of notion to it where i was like oh yeah because ditko worked on you know, Speedball, and Ditko worked on Madcap, and, like, so, I, I'm, like, I wonder if, like, Madcap is, like, the Mr. A to Speedball's The Question or something, you know, like, that that kind of thing, like, where they're kind of, kind of similar, but not. Now, what I kind of want to, in along those lines, like, did you think, like, Dollar Bill was sort of another sly jab at Stan Lee? You know, like, I I, you know, I've, I've never, I, I, yeah. I guess at the time, I read this when I was so young, I never... I, I was too young to make that connection, but now, you know, it's kind of like in hindsight, like given, given how, you know, this is like the, the swinging seventies Stanley. I mean, I guess they tried to compare him to like the, the, you know, the whole cable TV thing to like Geraldo. And I guess now I, I kept thinking of like, to put it in context where I, I don't know if people would even understand this, but it's like, I kept thinking about Wayne's world. Cause like, that's, he wasn't really a TV, you know, Dollar Bill wasn't really on TV. Like, he wasn't on, like, a real network. It was, it was like Wayne's World. Like, dude, we have a show from, you know, public access. It'd be like if, like, you know, Fan Holes was Wayne's World. You know, it's like, we're not really on TV. We're just, like, on the local network, and we all get together, and they're like, you know, Fan Holes, party time, excellent. You know, and, and it's just on TV, you know, but but only a local station would pick it up. So I assume this is just, you know, the only people who know about Dollar Bill's TV show are like local list, you know, local viewers, I guess, you know, like that, that kind of thing. But I could totally see like 
you know, Dollarville where he's got the kind of shaggy beard and the glasses and everything like that. It's totally kind of going in that, you know, swinging 70s Stanley look, you know? Yeah. Kind of. He's kind of like fame obsessed and like, you know, just, I don't know. He's, he just, he kind of like, it kind of like made me think of like funky Flashman or, you know, something like that. Yeah, where, yeah. And like, and I, I mean, his name is Dollar Bill. So, I mean, like, it's, a, you know, it's basically like, you know, what, 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 what Ditto probably thought like Stanley was most interested in basically was like the fame and the fortune and not the creative, you know, process or whatever. See, that's what I was thinking of too. And I was going to say, Maybe it's because Derek and I recently did that show, you know, Marvel Untold, and because I've been reading, like, Mr. Miracle Comics lately. Like, I was going to say, maybe that's why I immediately thought of Funky Flashman, but, you know, if if you saw it too, Mike, then, you know, like, I think that's, like, pretty good evidence. Yeah. Like, uh, well, like, back to, I guess, back to what I was saying, like, about, like, Deadpool and everything, like, like, Derek, like... Do you, like, they kind of, in modern times, like, the Dugan run of Deadpool, they kind of made Madcap into his, like, one of his arch nemesis, nemesi, or, like, you know, at least one of his, like, com- compatriots for a brief while, and, like, do you, like, it's almost like you, you kind of had an idea, like, as a, you know, as a younger man, like, or as a kid that, like, Madcap could be bigger than he was, so, like, are you, you know, do you kind of take exception to that, or do you, like, are you like, yeah, I'm glad someone had the same ideas as I did or like, I, I don't know. Like, like I, I have a weird, like, because this was my first impression of Madcap, like this issue in Daredevil. Like, I, I, I feel like I have this proprietary, like ownership of a certain vision of Madcap. And like, I, I, I don't know how to explain that other than Mark Grunewald wrote him in Captain America and Mark Grunewald wrote him in this issue. And I think most of the issues where Mark Grunewald writes him, I'm like, that's, you know, to, to coin the stupid phrase that everybody uses, like, that's my madcap. And, like, I feel like even discounting, like, the Dugan run on Deadpool where they tried to sort of rationalize the yellow thought balloons and everything it's like see the the thing that sucks for me about that is i hated the yellow thought balloons and then he pinned them on a character i like so like that that that's sort of like it's like it's like i'm happy that like they've resolved the dumb daniel way you know yellow caption boxes but i'm kind of unhappy with who they pin the blame on in that sense and and the fact that he is like this you know arch nemesis for deadpool like i i don't know like like that it's like what i guess the only good thing i can take away from that is if deadpool's so popular and they keep making like action figure waves i'm like please at some point give me a goddamn madcap figure like that's that's the only thing i can hope for and you yeah. know the storylines and all that other stuff be damned like i because i i guess the other reason why i say that is i felt like i already went through this because i'm a big fan of ghost rider too and i kind of hate the way they portray madcap and ghost rider because ghost rider was like such a supernatural type setting and like to make madcap a threat for Ghost Rider, like they had to make Did him. Did they make him kind of dark or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to make him like really demonic and like you know, kind of almost. I, I don't know. Like it was like it was like they tried to take 
what worked for Madcap here and and up him into like this like almost I want to say like Stephen King or Freddy Krueger type you know character and I I just I don't think that works like I I've never been a fan of it so it, it's odd because I am a huge fan of Ghost Rider but I don't like Madcap in Ghost Rider like in other words what happened to Madcap and Ghost Rider is something I would try to retcon away by blaming it on, you know, Deadpool or, you know, so, you know, basically it's like, you know, somebody else possessed Madcap for those Ghost Rider issues and like pin the blame on them, you know, where it's like, I don't know, like Venom gave him a love bite and that's why he was all messed up or, you know, what, whatever stupid cockamamie, you know, retcon reason. He's, he's not, he's not, he's not Jason Masondale Hobgoblin, he's Demo Goblin. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> he's Demo Madcap or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. Like it, it's like Madcap got bitten by you know, Nastrith during Inferno, and that's why he was, like, a lame-ass in Ghost Rider or something, you know, like, some some kind of retcon or whatever, but, like, I, I guess just, I say that to say, like, I always feel kind of proprietary of a specific vision of Madcap, and I don't really think other people who have tackled the character really nailed it, except for maybe, like, you, you know who else besides Mark Grunewald I thought had a good handle on it was, remember the Heroes for Hire book? I think it was, like, John Ostrander wrote those, and, like, there was this situation where it was, like, I think it was, like, Silver Sable's people against the Hero for Hire people or whatever, and that was, like, the first time Deadpool and Madcap had fought one another, and they weren't, like, arch nemeses. It was, like, they were barely, like, C-list characters in the background where it was, like, you know, the primary characters were, like, Iron Fist and Silver Sable and Luke Cage and those guys and, the, I think, Paladin. You know, like, they were having some kind of confrontation between two groups of mercenaries, basically. Or, the Wild Pack. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, but but they had that fight, and it was like, Madcap wasn't demonic. He wasn't some perverse, like arch enemy of someone he it was just kind of like they were both chopping each other's arms and legs off and it was just like woohoo this doesn't hurt uh, fuck you like you know that kind of thing and it was like they were kind of fun so like i think i think that was one of the only other times where i was like oh yeah this is this is my madcap so i i hope that answers your question mike yeah what about you justin had you ever read this issue before i'm assuming not since you had that stan lee kind of realization for for dollar bill i had not read this before and you know despite being aware that i know you like madcap like i've never really been exposed to a lot of his comics so reading this was kind of interesting but like just just reading this issue like i thought the character was a little annoying <laughs> he can i mean he can be i think he's purposely designed to be kind of annoying you know yeah but like i I really like his look. Like you, you were talking about his look and his costume earlier. Like I, I agree with that. Like I really like his, his overall design. I just, just, I don't know if it like I was kind of like in a grumpy mood when I read this. I, I bet if I like, read it, you know, a few days from now, I, I might think differently of the character. But like I, I was like, okay, like I kind of get where this is going. I, I think I always just got a kick out of the idea that like this character while he might be annoying or even to some people you know they call him a costume clown or a fruit or they say he's lame you know like things like that like you know the thugs or the mobsters and stuff like that like 
I was always like thinking in my own little fanfics or, or things that, you know, ideas I had for like professional stories. Like I, I really wanted him to out Wolverine Wolverine because clearly he does like in a lot of these things, like it, it's like he can get like the thing I always thought was great about him was like he seemed to literally recover from being burned to death. And, like, he would stab himself in the stomach. And, you know, probably because this is a code-approved book, you don't see the blood. But it's like, I think the way I took it when I read it as a kid and, and how I would visualize his abilities is, like, a lot of the times, and you'd, you'd even end up seeing it in some cases where, like, I, I want to say in, like, the solo Avengers books that he appeared in, like, he would get his arm or leg chopped off. And when you would look at the arm, it would be like, when you like cut a, a a coal cut or something and you can see, you know, it's like a ham hawk and you could see like the ham and the bone. And that's what it would look like when they chopped off his arm. Like he, his arm would just look like, you know, a ham hawk or something with a bone in the center. And like, I guess I just always took it like it, he almost had like literally like, like Warner brothers, Looney tune healing powers like for real and like to me i was like well that's way better than wolverine like wolverine actually gets hurt when he you know gets assaulted and, and shot at and all this other stuff so like i just want I, I i just always wanted the scene where it was like oh wolverine tries to like out fight madcap and out heal him and he just can't you know like so but that was just my own little fan wank fanboy thing you know that if if the hulk ripped him in half do you think you would end up with two madcaps no, I, I, I think, I think in, I think in my world, you would have like the, the ham hawk like waist where you could see like his spine, but it's just, it looks like the ham hawk and he would just like leap back onto his other half <laughs> and instantly like heal and be like, ta-da, like a gymnast or some shit. And that would be like the end of it. Whereas like Wolverine has to like grunt and crawl back to like the other half of his body and all that stupid fucking pathosy shit you know like i think i think with madcap he would just the, the the two halves of his body would like both be running around doing gymnast shit and like leap and meet each other again and then like he totally just go and then he's like okay i'm whole again you know like that's that's kind of how i see madcap like he's he's literally like a, a, a looney tunes character or at least has that heightened level of healing where it's it's near ridiculous like the 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 comeback he can make from from any kind of physical assault. He's a better slapstick than slapstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as my impressions of the book, it's a good one-off, especially for like you know having a character who is just in that issue for that issue. We were talking about this before the podcast. I remember Derek has always been a fan of Madcap, and I was like trying to remember one night because he was going on about him for some reason that we were talking about. And I was like, oh, I remember, I, what was his debut? And I, I thought it was this issue, but apparently he had showed up in Captain America beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And this, like, you know, re, uh, I read this issue beforehand. I don't know how long ago. It's been a while. And had to revisit it. And it it is kind of weird, though, because despite him being, you know, such a goofy trickster and stuff like that, like, Madcap almost has, like, a power level of like you know a celestial being you know he could he could hypnotize people he could like you know he can't really die yeah well that that's the thing i think i took issue with in ghost rider was because his 
the 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 whole idea of his his hypnotic stare being a usually it would uninhibit people or or make them kind of oblivious to to the harm they might inflict on themselves or something like that. It's almost like he he sort of shares his madness with other people. And then I think in the Ghost Rider thing, that aspect of him became more demonic, where it was like he would actually, like, terrify people, you know, kind of like, you know, the whole penance stare, like it was some kind of weird yeah. perversion of the madcap stare, I guess, for lack of a better term. And, like... Like yourself, like this was the first time I had ever been introduced to Madcap Daredevil two thirty four. So I, I, I literally took him as, oh, he's a Daredevil villain. Like you know, this is Madcap or whatever. And I think the next time I read about him was in Solo Avengers. So like I, I repeatedly, I think, didn't realize he was a Captain America villain until I started going through Captain America back issues and all that kind of stuff. And at some point I was going to actually, you know, include him in, you know, some kind of proposal, you know, for a Marvel series or whatever, like a team book. And he was going to be one of the members. And so based on that, like then, I, then I really got heavily into anybody who we had considered as a team member. And I started reading like all those various appearances and it's like, you know, you go from, I think it's like, I want to say it's like cap 307 or 309 where like, nomad catches him and basically that's that's jack monroe nomad that that brings in madcap in 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 the first appearance and then and then after this then you go to daredevil and solo avengers and then and then and then you get into the sort of more you know obscure or i don't know if it's obscure but you know you get into like the versions of madcap that i don't like in in ghost rider in the various volumes and stuff like that where it's like ghost rider kind of appropriated the character for a while because he he made a number of appearances in in the original, or, you know, in the Dan Catch volume of Ghost Rider in the 90s, and then I think he actually showed up again in some of the more recent volumes where Ghost Rider was Johnny Blaze again, and then huh. I'm trying to think, like, after that, I think, I don't know, there there, uh, there was that Heroes for Hire thing I was telling you about, and then I think, like, you know, he, he largely probably went unappreciated until... Like, like Mike kind of mentioned, you know, he, he has played a pretty significant role in, in that Deadpool run. So there's, there's that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's anything to write home about, you know, it may be like, you know, oh boy, Bendis is writing my favorite character. Like, you know, it might be something like that where you're like, I don't know if I like this, but you know, it, it, it probably has gotten him a lot more exposure than he would have had otherwise, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons why I thought this was like his debut is because despite it being a Daredevil book, and Matt does have you know his beats in the book and his just his book, like Madcap is featured very prominently, and that's usually what happens in a debut. You want to establish the character and everything like that. He does the whole thing of getting hurt. Nope, not hurt. And he does the whole hypnotic stare, and it's in the first few pages. So I I think the like I haven't read the Cap one. Like, does the Cap one? do a good justice of debuting him or do you think this actually may be why i was confused because this does seem like a debut of this character well but i i think this was back in the era and i i think this is largely true for a lot of these issues we're talking about tonight is th this was in an era where everybody's comic was their first comic type thing you know like it, it, gotcha. it, didn't, it didn't matter if you had read cap 
you know, 307 or 309 or what, wh whichever those issues were where, where Madcap first showed up. Like, if you didn't know that total backstory. The, the only thing I was kind of surprised about, because I, I think I came to know, love, and appreciate this, was the whole editorial asterisk thing. And it's like, it seemed like they had a couple opportunities to, you know, like like in that brief moment where Daredevil's, like, interrogating the the stool pigeon named Dennis, who I know you're speaking of like Stan Lee as Dollar Bill. I was like wondering if like Daredevil was beating the hell out of Denny O'Neill for writing shitty Daredevil comics or whatever in the alley, <laughs> you know, where he's like, God damn it, Dennis, tell me what's going on. But, you know, I, I, you know, that, that may just be me too. I have no proof for that one way or the other. But anyway, when he's beating up that stool pigeon in this issue, you know, they do make the reference that, like, he found out from a reporter friend of his, who's most likely Ben Urich, that, you know, Madcap was, you know, brought in by Nomad, and, you know, th there's that brief level of exposition that if you didn't know that Madcap had a previous history, here's where they sort of briefly, you know, exposit to you about what his backstory is before this issue. And what I guess what I was surprised about now in hindsight is, like, oh, that's weird. As a kid, whenever I would read these early impressionable spinner rack issues and there was an asterisk pointing to something else, I would at the very least be curious to see if I could find what it is or if I could locate it. And of course, it was a lot right. easier when you went to a comic specialty shop to do that than it was to find something that was referenced to in a spinner rack. But I, I'm kind of shocked that they didn't even have an asterisk that said, like, read Cup 309 for more about True, no believer. Bad, true yeah. believer or whatever. Like, I was kind of shocked that that wasn't, you know, because like yourself, I think when I first read this, I kind of was like you. I kind of skimmed over the whole nomad bit. Like, I didn't even really know what that was referencing. And so I just, like yourself, I assumed this was Madcap's first appearance. So I, I didn't know for a long time you know, until, like I said, until I started, you know, diving in back issue bins and comic specialty stores that, you know, oh, Madcap had appearances before this? Like, I had no idea. One thing I have always kind of had, uh, not a problem with, but like, uh, hmm, was this done for this? I know you, you guys have talked about how he's kind of like Deadpool before Deadpool was Deadpool, but DC also made a character called the Heckler who is not like Madcap, except he's, you know, he's a humorous kind of character, but he's also kind of crazy. But he, he his costume is very kind of Madcap-y. He has, like, yellow, and he's got, like, yeah. It's funny that you mention that, because I know I've been getting, like, a lot of commissions done lately of things that, like, kind of tickle my fancy. And, like, I, I kind of want a commission of Madcap done at some point, but one of the things I actually, like thought was, oh, how can I make these commissions, like, not just an artist drawing something, and, you know, of course, like, I, I got that one cool commission of, you know, Rydeen and, and Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider or whatever, you know, and, and, and it's like, oh, yeah. cool, like, not only is it a cool commission of characters I like, but it's kind of like this unofficial, you know, fanficy team-up yeah. crossover thing, and so it's funny that you mentioned the heckler, because I think one of my you know, in my inner backmost thoughts was like, oh, I wonder if I should just not, not just get a Madcap commission, but get a commission where Madcap and Heckler are 
hanging out together. You know what I mean? Like just because they're, yeah. they're designs. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, if you look at if you look at Madcap's head and you look at the heckler's head, it's kind of like looking at Steve Rogers and Clint Barton and Hank Pym unmasked. Where you're like, dude, <laughs> yeah. how you know? How would you know unless you saw like the purple hat, or you know, how would you know unless you saw like the lower body of the heckler with all the little ha has you know, on his outfit and everything? But I mean, the storyline, not even close. But the the the, no, the visualization, no. I I totally see what you're saying. Like they they have they have very similar kind of vibes, especially you know the 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 head design and the facial design and stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I was just kind of curious about that. Okay. Doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay. Go. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil podcast is part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil podcast because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil podcast every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. All right, so I guess I guess this is a good place to check into the next pick. And the next pick actually, conveniently enough, was brought to us by Tony Jackson. And Tony, why don't you take it away and tell us what issue you brought tonight and and what we're going to be talking about next. I have Daredevil, issue number 254. On the cover, it says Heart Attack, but no, it's not called Heart Attack. It is called Typhoid. Great cover. It's written by Anna Sinti. Penciler, John Romita Jr. How can you lose? And the anchor is Al Williamson. Not completely familiar with his work, but he, he's, he does great in here. He has a very cool style. This doesn't, like, it's not really so much a full-blown origin debut of Typhoid Mary, but this is where you get into the Typhoid Mary character. She, like, shows up in New York, and she's a badass girl with a 80s weird, curly, frizzy hairstyle and armor plates and fishnet stockings, and she's apparently taking down some of like some random goons and stuff however she has her own style she uh kind of sweet talks the goons a little bit and they kind of fall under her sway which is one of her abilities she does kill you know some of them but she keeps one rip she's like rip you'll be useful so you know they would give this nice introduction to this character and maybe her motivations because some of these thugs are working for the kingpin then we switch over to Matt. He's going through the skyline of New York, doing his Billy Club grappling thing. And he's worried about this young kid named Tyrone, who's recently been rendered blind. And he's thinking that the kid's not fighting hard enough. He doesn't like, you know, he doesn't know how to connect with the character, the character, but the kid, because he wants him to, you know, be like, you know, not disabled. Because, of course, Matt Murdock is blind. And he reminisces about his time with, like, you know, Stick and everything. He remembers Stick 
being someone who is very positive, if gruff, influence on his life. He even talks to Karen Page. They're not together anymore, but they are still friends. This goes on with Typhoid also, again, coming out again and taking out some more thugs. And Rip is just totally under her sway. She, she has this ability just to cloud men's thoughts. She just is a femme fatale, for sure. Then we go to Oriana O'Brien, who was Matt's former lover. She is now Foggy's lover. She only gets a one-page thing, which is fine, but she's kind of going over some of the important little backstory plots with how, you know, she she's has feelings for Foggy and she knows what Matt's going through, but she also feels betrayed, all this stuff. She has an arc later on in, in the in the series that I haven't read, but I just know because I, I read some uh, cliff notes about what happens to her. But this uh, book is mainly about uh, as far as Matt's in, him trying to help this kid Tyrone. He's talking to him. He wants him to, like, you know, fight to, like, you know, not see his disability as a handicap. He wants him to, like, you know, be strong, which is, that's kind of his plot point. And then finally, uh, near the end of the comic, Kingpin eventually is confronted by Typhoid, but it's Kingpin. And Typhoid even does some stuff where she lights his table on fire, like a small flame, and he's not impressed. He calls it parlor tricks. Him and Typhoid are both kind of impressed with each other, especially when Kingpin shows her a picture of uh, Matt Murdock and says he'll give her a million dollars if he can, if she can kill the Daredevil. And she has her own way of doing it. And at the end of the comic, we see a nice, innocent girl named Mary talking to Matt. And at first, it seems like she's just a normal person, but then we see the typhoid kind of speech pattern bubbles with the red. And it ends, but it seems like Matt has fallen under her sway. And a very, very lethal woman she is, because she kills without reserve, she does what she wants, and things are going to get bad for Matt in the coming issues. <laughs> So what did you guys think about this issue that, like, you know, pretty much heralded Typhoid Mary coming into the Daredevil universe? I liked it. I It's been a long time since I read this because I've read quite a number of issues from the Andocinti run. And how do I put this? I feel like Typhoid Mary is a very 80s character. Like when, you, like when I think back of characters that were created and were popular in the 80s, like she's probably one of the first that comes to my mind like I and I feel like she was really popular and important to the title Daredevil for quite a while and then she kind of went away for a bit or at least that's how I feel about the character I know she's came back off and on over the years yeah. but I kind of I kind of feel like her her heyday was like late 80s which I think this was all what 88 to like 88 yeah yeah her, her heyday was probably like, you know, late 80s to probably mid-90s. And then I think Daredevil kind of moved on, and it became like, you know, Kevin Smith was on the book, and then we had a number of other creators and whatnot. But yeah, I like this issue. Uh, like I said, it had been a, quite a long time since I read it, so it was nice to kind of go back and read it and, you know, kind of experience it again. Because I haven't reread a lot of these older Daredevil issues from the 80s, like aside from the the Frank Miller stuff. Yeah. You talk about how she's a very 80s character. Reading it now, you know, older and, you know, more knowledgeable about comics and stuff, do you still think the the character is kind of, like, cool and badass or just an 80s character? Uh, 
she's definitely uh, a badass. I think some of the slang that they're using, you know, her and that wig yeah. that she's got under her thumb, I'm just like, oh, come on. Like, I, I, I bet that went over really well at the time, but reading it now uh, in 2018, like, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm kind of rolling my eyes at it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. I mean, this is an 80s comic and stuff. I remember when I when I first read this, it was a spinner rack. Well, actually, it was kind of a spinner rack offshoot. A friend of mine was really into Daredevil. He did buy this off a of spinner rack, and he let me borrow some of his Daredevil comics. So that's where I first got exposed to this. And I had never been a huge fan of Daredevil. And honestly, at that point in my life, I did not know anything about the Frank Miller run. I didn't know anything about Elektra or Bullseye. So I think Typhoid Mary was kind of my Electra in a way. And that that I don't know. I was like she she seemed like the bad girl of the Daredevil universe. Like yeah. instead of Electra yeah. who Yeah. No, no, that seems yeah. to I mean that 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 seems to make a lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I guess I, I I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, take some of the wind out of Mike's sails, but I was just going to mention that, you know, Mary does, you know, Typhoid Mary does come back in Daredevil and they obviously sort of redesign her a bit so that she's, you know, she's less eighties, I guess in, in like the, I think it's like Bendis Maliev eventually, you know, tackle her in, in, in that run as well. And, and she's made a number of appearances in Spider-Man and stuff like that. But then the, the other thing that, that really made her stand out for me was, you know, she does kind of become Deadpool's girlfriend for a little while because she's yeah. nuts. And then there was this, like, special where it's like Deadpool and Daredevil had a special, so they were both sort of, you know, it's like, you got my sloppy seconds, Deadpool, you know, like that that special <laughs> or whatever it was, right? And so, that you know, there, there were those aspects where, I don't know if she was irrelevant in the 90s, but she she definitely had her moments, you know, later on, uh, you know, outside of the 80s. And I, I think this, I mean, I remember reading this, like, I don't know if it was necessarily, like, off the spinner rack per se. Like, I kind of remember a lot of these covers and stuff, and I might not have, you know, took it home with me at the time, but then I think, you know, later I would, you know, you know, I, I remember these issues because the Typhoid Mary issues, like that, that's, you know, it was like the marketing back then. It was like, you, you didn't have stuff like Wizard Magazine necessarily telling you like the top 10 books, but if Wizard Magazine was published at the time, like this issue would have been a hot top 10 book. And the reason why you knew it was hot was because there were all these like online order stores that you'd see advertised in the pages of these comics. It was like, I, I want to say like American company comics or, you know, I don't know. I, I'd need to see the, the listings or, or, or look at them I, I know or whatever. About, yeah. They, but they have like listings of like the hot books for what price. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you just knew it was like, it, it'd be like, you know, my issue with Madcap would be like, you know, Daredevil 234, you know, buck 75, you know, like, like nobody cares about it. And you'd get to this issue, 254, first typhoid Mary, hot, you know, it'd be like $8, yeah. you know, hot, $5, you know, or whatever, whatever they were trying to charge for it. So it's like, I remember this book was like a big deal at the time. And man, like, this is another great example of, I mean, I love the fucking Kingpin, but like, this is another great example of like, cause it's like the, the first guy she, she kind of like gets under her thumb is like trying to be a badass, but clearly like she is, she is, 
you know, they, they have the, the dialogue that Justin's kind of cringing at where, you know, she's like, who's on top, you know, baby doll or whatever, you know, like all this kind of stuff. But it's yeah, like, yeah, but it's yeah, like, clearly yeah. she is in charge, you know, like she, she clearly, you know, basically. Yeah, he, he's even like, you know, like, seems like you're the man and I'm the woman. Yeah, yeah. That kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, to some degree, it's true. Like she's, she's on top in that scenario. And, and, you know, is obviously like she, she's looking for someone who can match her, but she hasn't found them yet. And so like, she goes yeah. through all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting too, because the Kingpin's at this point where he's like, God damn it. I was trying to like break Matt Murdock and I took all this shit away from him. Cause you know, this is coming off of like, you know, born again, maybe like, I don't know, a year or two after it or whatever, but he's like, you know, and yeah. what, what got him out of that, you know, was his his relationship with Karen Page. So Kingpin's kind of thinking like, well, you know, how do I, I want to, I want to take that away from him. Like, how do I, you know, and, and he's like, I don't have any attachments anymore. Cause you know, I I've lost my own wife, you know, like, so it's like, he's trying to figure that stuff out. And it, what's funny is like the minute he sees the differences, the schizoid personality between typhoid and Mary, he's just like, this is perfect. Like, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm totally going to fuck up Matt Murdock's shit with this chick, you know? Like, and, and, and I love when she comes in and does the, you know, what Tony said, the parlor trick, and he just woofs it out. And he's kind of like, and, and then, and then basically he turns her own words against her, where he's like, I will show you who's on top. Like, I'm, like, in this scenario, like, I'm top dog, you know? And I'm just like, that's total kingpin. Like, you know, he totally, like, yeah. always sort of, you know, kind of controls the room or you know owns the the scenario and everything but yeah, classic. yeah he always has that ace up the sleeve yeah, yeah classic classic kingpin you know derek mentioned the like malieve version of typhoid murray like i kind of feel like she's a product of her time too because if if you look at it it's like she's all in like like a black leather jacket and like this harness with like the boobs cut out and she's got like a oversized belt and fishnets and kind of long stringy hair and i'm like that's kind of like a an early like 2000s like kind of like a you know trendy gothy kind of thing hot chick yeah yeah i i mean i like derek was saying about like heckler i'm not heckler sorry uh madcap with grunwald writing him even though Ed Nocenti like did a great job writing the Typhoid Mary character, and, that, and she did an awesome job, no no disrespect to her at all. Like uh, Ramita Junior's like penciling for Typhoid Mary, that's my Typhoid Mary. I don't care if she's eighties or not. Like the the armored shoulder, the 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 kind of leather like uh, leotard and the the fishnets and the crazy hair and the half mask. That's that's to me that's Typhoid Mary. I mean. I don't know. I don't, I don't think, to me personally, I don't think that visual has aged as poorly as some people might think. The only thing that's maybe a little weird is is the creaky, curly, like you know, super perm hair, maybe. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, will, I will say like there's a really nice like epic collection of this run. I think it's like 450 pages or something. I mean, it's huge, but like it's I've flipped through it a, a number of times and like kind of like burn stole some of it at my comic shop like it's it's really nice cool yeah mike what would you what do you think of the introduction of miss mary 
I had never read this before. I, I've always wanted to because I love Ramita Jr.'s art. And like, I'm always like you guys are saying, like how 80s she is. Like, I'm always surprised to read that, like, or, you know, re relearn that she was not a Frank Miller creation. Like, that's how like, <laughs> like 80s she is almost like, no, I, I mean, I thought this was pretty cool. Like, I've always kind of. Like, I haven't read a whole lot of what stuff with Typhoid Mary in it, but, like, yeah, like Derek said, I've read the Deadpool stuff with her. I've read Bendis's Daredevil with her, and I've read when she was in... Remember when in Avengers Initiative, like, they had that mystery character, Mutant X, or Mutant Zero, I think it was called? Like, it was some chick in a, like, a suit of armor with, like, pyrokinetic powers, and then eventually it turns out it's Typhoid Mary. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, like, so, like, that's, those are, like, the main, like, you know, places I've encountered her before, but, like, I've never read this early stuff with her, so, like, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I don't, like, I've always kind of pegged her, like, I forgot if it was either Tony or Derek who said, like, she was, like, Daredevil's, like, Catwoman or whatever, but I've always kind of said, like, I, I would always peg her as kind of like Daredevil's like Poison Ivy almost like like yeah, yeah Electra yeah if yeah. Electra is Catwoman then she's like Poison Ivy you know what I hate to mention but I I think I need to because I think this is the direction they're gonna try to steer the character in moving forward is I I almost kind of think now at least Marvel Television at any rate thinks. Typhoid. Well, they. I think they already have Harley Quinter. Gather round, you land-loving, scurvy-ridden swine! See what happens to those who oppose Captain Bloody Typhoid Mary. Um, I don't see a crew. I. We were twenty strong when we set sail from Port Hydra, seeking a treasure so grand the very sight of it has driven many men mad. Four days into crossing the sea of bitter tears, the men were seasick, suffering from dysentery. The trip couldn't get any better. When suddenly there was a... Oh shoot, what's the word? Oh yeah, a mutiny. So that crew had to go. Go, go, go. Like they swam somewhere? A nice little island, maybe? Swim? <laughs> You're cute. They couldn't swim. But all their splashing sure got the shark's attention. Because, like, I, I know we're talking about all these different, like, comic book interpretations. And I think I mentioned this to one of you guys one night or whatever. But I was I was catching up on all those Avengers Assembled Secret War episodes. Because they, they have, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Um, why can't I think of his name now? The guy who played, uh, uh, Steven Weber is, is playing the Beyonder. So, like, like and he's, he's kind of cool. Like, like, he's kind of swarmy and... You know, I don't know. He's a good Beyonder. But anyway, they have the Beyonder bring, like, all these different areas. It's kind of like Green Lantern Mosaic. Like, he brings all these different areas of the Marvel Universe to Battle World, And then, you know, they meet guest stars and all kinds of crazy stuff. But hopefully, long story short, or maybe long story long, there's, like, all these different characters on battle world and for some reason there's this dumbass like pirate world where like crossbones and red skull are fucking r matey pirates like for some reason now <laughs> like and they've got like the fucking hats and the eye patches and the whole fucking nine yards and you're just like what the fuck is going it's like really crazy right and so and i forget who the good guys were that were uh, you know hanging out and like you know basically so, some of the good avengers are there trying to live through you know crossbones and red skull as pirates 
pirates and shit. And who do they run into to help them? But Typhoid Mary and Typhoid Mary is her own like pirate, you know, on her own little ship. And she ends up helping them out. But the thing is, like in that episode, like all I could think of is Harley Quinn from the Suicide Squad movie where like Mary was like, and I'm crazy, but you love me, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, and and I was just kind of like, oh, you know, like I like I said, I hate to bring it up, but I kind of think like. I see what you're saying, Mike, like, because you're trying to treat the character with more relevant or reverence than fucking Harley Quinn. You know, you're saying, oh, she's the Poison Ivy. And like, I totally appreciate that. But I feel like even even Marvel TV guys are like, oh, no, she's she's nutballs. So she's actually like the the Marvel Harley Quinn, you know, at least at least at least at least when she's typhoid at any rate, you know. Wasn't like I, I like I said I haven't read any of her like early stuff, but like I'm sure like within like in this like Nocenti run, like it wasn't she like sleeping with Daredevil and Kingpin yeah. like at the same yeah. time? Yeah, yeah. 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 like that. that that's like, why. Yeah. That's that's why I just I dug it because it was like this was like this cool like I I mean they were both kind of like in their own ways they were both kind of wrapped around her fingers, you know, like they they both yeah. sort of got. I don't know, uh, humbled or, you know, like sort of beholden I, I to the, her. The, the, the her... popular kids call it played. Well, you know, <laughs> their, their sexual prowess or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's just like, yeah, they were they were totally whooped for for a bit in this run, like the both of them. And the thing, the thing about it is, is like, you know, with Harley Quinn, she was introduced in like an animated series, so she couldn't be really violent. Typhoid Mary in like the, especially like her first run with like Daredevil and Kingpin, excuse me for using improper language, but she's a violent bitch. She likes cutting people and hurting people. She she is not a, a nice woman, like when she's typhoid. And it's like, yeah, that's that's really sad that they're going the Harley Quinn route with her. It's like, oh man, that that's 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 unfortunate. I guess I get that was just my take because I was like, what why why does Typhoid Mary have a eye patch and she's like an R pirate or whatever? Like I was like, what? But yeah. Yeah. But also you were talking about Kingpin, Derek. And I really like the way Ramita draws Kingpin. Cause he does look like kinda of, I mean, I'm sorry, he does look like a fat fuck. But he looks powerful as shit too. It's like, yeah, he's huge. He's 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 you know a, a huge man. Well, yeah, yeah, he's but, he's massive, yeah. but he's also imposing and 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 ha- you know just not only the way he's written, but like you say, visually the art style shows him to be in command of the like he's at ease. Like you don't. They, they, that was something I was always taught, where it's like if like you're acting and you're playing the king, like the person who plays the king. I don't want to say inaccurately or wrongly, but it was just this thing of if you're in a throne, you don't sit all prim and proper in a throne and like try to like, I don't know, adhere your body to the throne. Like, like if you're, if you're really the king, like you're comfortable in the throne. You just, you lounge in the throne. Like it's, it's, it's just whatever. It's just a fucking chair. Like, you know, you don't even care. Like, like that's, that's how you sort of, can portray that in a way that shows that you sort of own the room and you're comfortable with, with your stature and status and who you are. And I think, I think the art from Ramita Jr. kind of reflects that. And this is, this is kind of an era of Ramita Jr. Like I, you know, I don't want to disparage like, you know, later stuff. Cause I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy that's like, I don't like that. Like I know a lot of people like, I don't know, 
go go off on later Ramita Jr. stuff, and that's not what I'm here to do. But at the same time, like this right here, like seems to me to be like like classic in his prime Ramita Jr. art, you know? Yeah, because you have Typhoid Mary, even though she's 80s, I think she's purposely drawn angular and harsh when she's in her typhoid persona to to give you that danger. And then you have Daredevil and like he he looks so graceful when he's doing his flips and his stuff throughout the city. And then like you said, you have Kingpin who's just larger than life figures like he just nails all those like iconic kind of visuals for those characters. It's like you you get a sense of who they are just by how you look at them. You see Typhoid, she's dangerous. You see Daredevil He's the man without fear. You see Kingpin. He's the lord of the city. This may be kind of random, but I know we, we've discussed uh, Typhoid Mary's hairstyle in this. But, like, it was funny when we were going through, and I, I know Tony was like, hey, I want to do the first Typhoid Mary on this show. And uh, we were trying to track down, like, oh, you know, which one is it? And then when I finally looked at the cover, like... I almost skipped over this issue thinking, oh, this can't be the first Typhoid Mary because it, it almost looks like the the way she's shaded and colored on She the looks cover. like a dark heart. She looks like black heart. Yeah. Like, yeah. Black heart. Yeah. And, and so like, I, I was just wondering if anybody else had that thought too. Cause it's like, this is before well, black heart well, even existed. But since Ramita Jr. did design that version of black heart, you're like, Oh, that that's kind of interesting. Like they're these same, kind of aesthetics of this kind of wacky it's it's almost like it's this giant 80s fro of hair you know like and, and depending on how yeah. it's colored it's like one may evoke typhoid mary but then the the way they colored it on the cover it's like with the blue yeah, and the green eyes yeah, yeah. and you're like yeah. oh that kind of looks like blackheart even though that's way before blackheart ever appeared on this comic well, that's why I kind of made like the joke is like it says on the cover heart attack, and I'm like, no, it's it's not black heart, because <laughs> you would even think with the title on the cover saying heart attack, and it's like, no, the the title of the book is typhoid. <laughs> so yeah, no, no, I I got that vibe too because I like I I was like like oh heart attack, and that does like black heart. Why why would Daredevil be fighting like him? I knew what the book had. It's just like I I, I got that similar feeling. I, I got that like you know, huh. <laughs> was this maybe inspiration later on when Don Reed reviewer was like, Blackheart, how should he look? A huge dude with a fro and he's blue. <laughs> I hate to say this and I hate to sound disparaging to the Matt Murdock character in Daredevil. He doesn't have a really good rogues gallery. He has like Bullseye, Electra, depending on if she wants to fuck him or not, Kingpin, and and a couple others who are not high tier villains. I actually think that Typhoid Mary was a high-tier villain when she showed up. And I think she is one of the characters I associate with Daredevil. So I, I give her, I give them props for making a character that is a good arch-nemesis for Daredevil. I think some of his villains kind of either got hijacked or, like, he had to hijack, like, Kingpin, like, and, you know, some of his yeah. other villains got hijacked by other people, like, Purple Man is probably, like, you know, associated most with, like, Jessica Jones now, so. Yeah, yeah, or even Alpha Flight because of Purple Girl, yeah, as, like, yeah, like, yeah, Kingpin, he, he took that from Spider-Man. Spider-Man was originally the Kingpin's, like, you know, enemy, so, yeah, yeah, so, like, Daredevil has... Unfortunately, a week's rogues gallery. So I, I, I was happy that Typhoid 
as far as I'm yeah, concerned, like, I know later on, I, I, I consider her a, a Daredevil villain. Well, yeah, like if I think of Daredevil villains, I mean, the first maybe five that come to mind are Kingpin, Bullseye, like Elektra, Typhoid Mary, and like Gladiator, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, you don't, you don't immediately think of Madcap? What the <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Derek. I'm like, I'm like, you don't think. Of, what about the owl? The owl's like one of Daredevil's like. Oh yeah, guys. yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, well like I said, he's kind of like a lower tier guy. I think in my <laughs> I, head. I thought I thought the owl was an X Factor villain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was too cool for X Factor, so they had to make up Apocalypse instead. Yeah, yeah. Fuck that owl guy. We got, we got, uh, we got, uh, you know. Big Lips Apocalypse. How you doing? <laughs> Be like your daredevil, like, you know, in the streets of Hell's Kitchen, then, yeah, like, totally, totally look this up. Yeah, I mean, I think this is... I think you're going to find this true of most of the issues we talk about tonight, because they, yeah, they, always, yeah, they always they always got really good creative teams, and, and for the most part, I feel like there are really great runs in, in Daredevil, like... You know, so and and this Nocenti Romita Jr. run, like the issues that they worked on, they were really top notch. And like I think, I think this is we're, you're gonna find this is true of a lot of the the issues we talk about tonight that they were part of really good runs or had really good creative teams on them and stuff like that. So that that's the only thing I would say, sort of to, to close out this section of uh, you know this issue that we're discussing and everything. 1984, I was 10 years old, and a strange light lit up the park behind my house. In the middle of the night, still in my pajamas, I ran to investigate. A strange machine sat brooding in the dark. I stepped inside and I was taken to a far-off galaxy where I saw men, monsters, and gods fight and die. Join us again on the Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars and Beyond series, part of the Pulp to Pixel podcasts where we will discuss each issue of the Secret Wars miniseries and their long-term impact on the characters who joined us on Battleworld and on those we left behind on the home front. Join us again on Battleworld. Return with us to our Secret Wars. But I think we'll, we'll move on to the next issue that was brought tonight, and that was brought by our man Justin. So, Justin, why don't you take it away? Like, what, what issue did you bring and let us know what it's all about. Well, I brought Daredevil number 304. It has a cover date of May 1992 and sold for a whopping $1.25. The story is called 34 Hours. And it was written by D.G. Chichester and illustrated by Ron Garney. And the synopsis on the Marvel Wikipedia for this issue simply reads... Daredevil succeeds in saving lives for 36 hours straight. Although I don't think pulling jerks from caps qualifies as saving lives, but whatever. And that's Daredevil 304. So, Mike, what did you pick? To be fair, this is a good portrayal of Matt Murdock. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and you, you guys know, like, when we do these kind of episodes, I usually like to bring you know, the first comic I read or the first one I bought. And I think this might be the first Daredevil comic I bought. I, I know that Daredevil was definitely the last, like, major Marvel title that I picked up. 
or at least you know, the last of like the books that began in the 60s like daredevil for whatever reason like he was the last one i picked up like i i can remember being a little kid and hearing like the like high school kids on the school bus talking about daredevil probably like probably the previous issue was probably something they were discussing because that's probably the right time frame for that but i remember like older kids talking about daredevil and how they liked it and i i just never really well i don't know i was just never compelled to check it out but anyway i picked this issue up from the piggy lately that was closest to our house and i think i mentioned before it, it mostly had marvel comics and usually if you know if i had already bought the comics i wanted that month like if i'd already like picked up fantastic four and avengers and x-men like usually i would you know get like a batman or a superman comic but i think i think this time i must have just been like oh i'll i'll check out this daredevil guy and, and see what he's all about and this was the one that i bought other than the story like the thing that stands out to me it's like this is ron garney and i really like his artwork and i think he's really improved since this issue like i was like you know you look at that opening page of matt kind of crouching in front of that clock like like that's a really gorgeous page and then I, f I kind of feel like some of the other interior pages are a little weak but like i think if you look at his work now like he he's currently wrapping up his run on daredevil now like he came back to the book like he's been doing some really great work and when i think of ron garney i think of like his run on like hulk or silver surfer in like the mid to late 90s like that's that's what i think of and i, I kind of forgot that he was on daredevil during this time but like you know derek was talking earlier about not not saying disparaging things about artists like i think in ron garney's case like he has definitely improved over the years yeah but that's not um, that's not i don't i don't think that's anything disparaging oh no no yeah no, you're, no, no. you're just saying hey look at look at how far he's i mean because you know and and it, it, it's not like it took very long either too because like i'm thinking about it i'm like oh you know it's not too long after like this is what the 304 is 92 so like what i i don't know it would only be a couple of years later he was doing the the captain america stuff right and that was yeah that was excellent yeah. too so like there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff and i i i you know me i love silver surfer so it's like oh you know that that was one of those things where i was like oh fuck finally a good fucking you know because i i i hate yeah. i hate tom grindberg so much like i was just like <laughs> and he was doing silver Surfer at the time and i was like oh fuck finally like a really for reals good artist on silver surfer and i will say justin the uh the cover is fucking amazing yeah, that's a really great cover. Yeah, he just he just looks so stoic and just like I would have saved a guy from a cab. <laughs> and um, the, the the story itself is pretty simple. I mean, it's just basically different scenarios of Daredevil either saving people or helping them out. And I kind of like that simplicity. You know, it starts with Daredevil saving this baby that its carriage gets kind of stuck on the L train or whatever, and he's kind of like he saves it, and I like how he gets like he gives like a thumbs up. Yeah, <laughs> and like the mom is like, "Oh God, thank you," and the dude's like, "All right, man, you're cool," or <laughs> whatever. And then it's like he it jumps from that to like the thing I talked about earlier, where like he doesn't save anyone; he just kind of like pulls this like yuppie jerk guy out of the cab for, for like this lady who has like a bunch of like grocery bags or whatever. And I'm like, 
well, he didn't really save anyone in that scenario. Like, why did he even get involved? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop stopping a homeless guy's shopping cart from falling over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then he, he saved one guy from getting like a baseball bat to the head. And then the scenario I like is that last one where he's kind of watching several different events unfold simultaneously. Like there's like the student film crew who were like, you know, shooting something in the park and the chick who's like juggling the knives. And then you've got like the young like camera guy who's like about to get molested horribly. But like Daredevil manages to like read all these scenarios and save everyone. And uh, he, he, he sure locks the fuck out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely does. I think yeah. I think they out of these scenarios at the end. I think the only one I didn't quite get as a kid was the cop. And I was like, well, what's this cop's problem? Like, they're just shooting a movie. Like, the chick juggling the knives, I got. And then even the pedophile thing, I got. But, like, as a kid, I, like, didn't get that. I get it now, of course. Like, it to makes total sense to me now. But as a kid, I was just like, well, what was that cop's problem? Like, he's a jerk. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, had, had it, any of you guys read this before? Um, I, I hadn't. Um, I, I was not into Daredevil. I guess, this would be considered a later part of the run. I mean, he still hadn't gotten, I don't think, his armored uniform yet or anything no, like that. No, no. that was later. That, that was later yeah. in the, like, 320s. Like, I, it's funny, because, like, this is an era where I was reading some Daredevil comics, because I'm, I'm looking now, because I was like, I, I, when, when Lee Weeks was doing the art just before this, I was reading some of it after the Nocenti Ramita Jr. stuff, so it's like I, I'm looking at some of the covers now where it's like oh yeah, that was like when I was super into Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider was in 295 and then that led into the whole, like where he brings down the Kingpin, so I was kind of into that because I was like, oh finally, like Daredevil's gonna like, you know, beat up the Kingpin, and I was like, this is gonna be awesome and everything, you know, and speaking of Typhoid Mary, like, obviously she get, gets her comeuppance in that arc, too. So, like, I remember, you know, reading that whole arc from 297 to 300. And then after that, it was a little more sporadic. I think I I sort of got into Dead Man's Hand when it crossed over with, like, Nomad and all those other titles and stuff. But I, I don't think I really got back into reading Daredevil religiously until the McDaniel stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, so that's, that wouldn't be into, like, the 320s. Yeah. I, I think this is a good issue, though, because, like, I don't know, this is, this is gonna go way too deep for something that's not that deep. But I think in this day and age, a lot of people are very pessimistic and very cynical and very, uh, you know, just down, you know, like, there's a lot of shit going on in the world, doesn't matter what side of the fence you are, are on. And this doesn't seem like there's any heroes. And one of uh, Daredevil's biggest pluses as a hero is yes, he has radar sense. He like, you know, is blind, but he can kind of see because of his, you know, radar ability. But he's just a dude. He, he is a very athletic dude, but he's just a guy in a pair of tights. And the whole idea that he just went on this like crusade for over a day no sleep, no, no, no fatigue, even if it shows in his, like, you know, in his, you know, mind that he's, like, getting tired, he's just saving people, and some of them are small, 
fishes in a big pond and some of them were big fishes in you know the large city of new york and it's just that kind of dedication that like a real hero would do and that's that's just that's a positive message i think you know that's the kind of guy matt murdoch is and i think that's like a cool thing you know it's like he does this and he's on a time frame and he's got he, he has to do this for like you know yeah you know it's like it's like it's it's it's, it's, it's a cool thing i i had never read this before but like i liked it it kind of like it, i was talking about like poison ivy this this also kind of reminded me of like a like batman-esque story i guess like I could, I yeah. could, I can't tell you the exact issue or what, but there's some Batman story I read once. Maybe Derek would know, where it's like it's either like Christmas Eve or Halloween or some, or maybe the anniversary of his parents' death. Like, like on one certain day, like Batman works like 24 hours a day or something, or like he he like goes and does as much as he can in a like 24 hour period. And like, like I know I had read like a setup very similar to this issue before, but I can't specifically pinpoint what issue it was. But like, I I did like this though. I I kind of I kind of think it's 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 cool to see like Daredevil not making any unrealistic promises, like you know being like in this thirty six hour period, no one no, dies or whatever. Yeah. yeah, like I'm just gonna, you know, it's just I'm gonna do the best I, I'm gonna help as many people as I can in this, you know, certain amount of period time. So like I, I liked that. Yeah, but Daredevil looks really red a lot, like really bright, vibrantly red. Yeah, more superhero-y. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as far yeah. as like. As far as like my reading of the book, I think I kind of like dipped in and out of the title. Like I would, you know, sometimes I would read it, sometimes I would just, sometimes I would buy it, sometimes I would just sit at the store and read it. I think what really got my attention, and I'm sure Derek will kind of like poo-poo this, but like when he got the costume change, like that big, you know, Fall from Grace arc, like I think that's when I kind of like started reading it <laughs> month to month. Like I. I don't know. I was kind of interested, and I was, I was like, "Oh, we got like a new costume, like cool." And I kind of like started reading it on a more like regular basis. Yeah, I mean, like, it, you know, we it's it's easy to mock like you know the '90s, the trends, and all that. But you know, at the time, if you were there, you know, it was kind of exciting, almost like you know, it was like, "Oh, like this is something new and different and edgy," like you know. And obviously, we were yeah. younger, so you know, we knew. We knew, like, you know, we didn't know exactly, like, our, our taste wasn't exactly in the right place always, but, you know, we... <laughs> we, 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 you know, we, were, we, were, we were more open to change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, Daredevil's got a new costume? Fuck it, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. I, like, honestly, like, I, I think Derek has said this, too, but I, I still wouldn't mind, like, a Marvel Legends of, like, the armored, like, costume. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to wait until Madcap gets re least first for yeah, is on board with that <laughs> i guess so yeah and, and also after i get a good typhoid mary that would, that would also help <laughs> yeah you'd think she she would seem to be on a like she should be on a short list of like you know i don't know if they would do a daredevil wave but they could do like a marvel knights wave or something i think she is on a i thought i could have sworn she was on one of those leaked lists or something oh that'd be good huh. yeah i thought for yeah. sure typhoid mary was I, I would agree, though. I, I would not have a problem with Armored Daredevil. I would probably buy it. I, I think he, I think the costume is fine. I think 
uh, a lot of the hate that it gets is 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 that weird anti-nostalgia thing, like, oh, it sucks. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. So, now that Daredevil's saved babies and, and stopped shootings and, and all kinds of goodness, we are now going to move on to the issue that Mike brought. And of course, chronologically, this is the last in the series of Daredevil issues that were brought tonight. So, Mike, why don't you tell us what issue you brought and let us know what it's all about. I picked Daredevil 354. It was released July 1996. And I, I bought this issue in a supermarket. Like it was in the, you know, the magazine aisle. You know, ba basically at this time, like this is the Ben Riley like Spider-Man era. So I was like buying anything that like had Spider-Man guest appearances. And, you know, it, the, the cover is Daredevil and it says head to head with Spider-Man. So I was like, oh, well, I should pick this up. And like at this point, I hadn't like I read a lot of Daredevil and guest appearances, but I hadn't read like virtually any of Daredevil's actual books. So this this could very well have been my very first issue of Daredevil. It's written by Carl Kiesel, drawn by Carrie Nord, inked by Matt Ryan, colored by Christy Scheel and letters by Jim Novak, and the story is titled Charming Devils. As Daredevil swings around the city, lost in thought, he is unknowingly put in the crosshairs of a mysterious individual. Daredevil arrives at his law office, thinking about how he, as Matt Murdock, has been maneuvered into taking a job with Rosalind Sharp's firm. His partner, Foggy Nelson, agreed to the offer, but it is only on the table if Matt comes too. As Matt takes his mask off and gets a drink, Foggy Nelson arrives and chides Matt for wearing his costume in the office. Matt assures Foggy that his radar sense would let him know if anyone was in visual range, and the windows of the office produce enough glare that they cannot be seen through. Foggy changes the subject to Sharp's offer, and Matt wants to know why he's so eager to take it. Foggy explains that Rosalind Sharp is the reason he went into the law in the first place, and despite Matt's reluctance, he's insistent on them agreeing to work for her. Matt pulls his mask back on and as Daredevil, answers a knock at the door which turns out to be Liz Osborne. Daredevil makes himself scarce as Liz is amazed that Foggy is so close with the masked crime fighter. But as the wife of the deceased Green Goblin Harry Osborn and sister to Mark Raxton, the Molten Man, she can understand the situation. Liz asks to treat Foggy to lunch as thanks for him for representing her in court recently. As across town, Matt Murdock meets his own lunch date and his girlfriend Karen Page. After a bit of flirting, the two order food and discuss the upcoming trial of supervillain Mr. Hyde. Matt asks Karen how it is going with her job search, and Karen quickly says she hasn't found anything yet. However, Matt's hypersenses detect that she is lying and wonders what Karen is hiding from him. 
Just then, Bugle employees Ben Yurick and Peter Parker stroll by and say hello to the couple. Knowing each other's secret IDs, Matt and Peter exchange a handshake and Matt tells him that things related to Spider-Man are a bit different these days. On cue, Spider-Man himself swings by overhead, and a stunned Matt asks Peter if he's sure that it's the real Spidey. Pete reassures Matt that while Spidey's costume may be different, his life is probably just as complicated as it ever is. Matt quickly excuses himself to go change to Daredevil and follow Spider-Man, while Ben, Karen, and Peter all make up various excuses for him. Meanwhile, Ben Riley, the sensational Spider-Man, is still swinging across town when Daredevil intercepts him and asks him to prove he's the real deal. Daredevil notes that Spider-Man and Peter Parker both have identical heartbeats and demands an explanation. Spider-Man is reluctant to acquiesce, but the chili dogs that Daredevil has brought along soon sway him. After a presumably convoluted and headache-inducing rundown of the recent events in Ben Riley and Peter Parker's lives, Daredevil admits that his life has been equally complex of late. Before the two can chat any further, both the, the spider and radar senses warn them of an attack, and Spidey and Dee Dee leap out of the way of some oncoming firepower. The attacker is Shooter, a gun-laden hitman who has decided to make his rep to the Kingpin by taking out Daredevil. Spider-Man humorously points out that he was the one primarily fighting Kingpin back in the day, and Daredevil agrees that well, taking Spidey out would certainly be more impressive, and even begins offering encouragement to the Shooter to try. Spider-Man easily dodges Shooter's barrages while Daredevil looks on, until Shooter realizes that Daredevil is an easier target. Dee Dee and Spidey take cover from the gunman as Daredevil explains to Spidey that he was just trying to determine the Shooter's capabilities. Now that he has, he provides a distraction while Spidey gets Shooter to blast a rooftop water tank, which ruptures and knocks the hapless Hitman out. With their bond re-established, Daredevil and Spider-Man share some jokes as they cart the unconscious bad guy to the authorities. Later at Rosalind Sharp's new law office, which is almost done being furnished, Matt Murdock arrives to have a chat with her. He's decided to accept her offer on the condition that Foggy never finds out that the offer hinged on Matt coming along too. Rosalind welcomes him to the firm and tells him she's jumped the gun a bit and gotten him his first client already, Mr. Hyde. In prison, a bound Mr. Hyde demands to see Matt Murdock, having been told his new lawyer can convince any jury that he is innocent of murder. So yeah, that's Daredevil 354, and I mean, I just picked it up basically for the Spider-Man appearance, but like, it's a pretty solid, like, issue on its own, and like, I don't, I don't think I ever followed up on any of the events that happened. Like, I know, I know there was a whole trial of Mr. Hyde, like, storyline or whatever, but I, I, I honestly didn't read it after this, but like, yeah, like I thought this was a good, like a good appearance by you know Peter and Ben, and as far as the current landscape went, and a good uh, team up, yeah, yeah, like the, 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 there was a bunch of like like I uh, what he, Carl Kiesel like definitely had like you know he wasn't a like snacky joke writer for Spider Man, like I think Spider Man had some really funny lines. Um, yeah, there was, yeah, yeah and, uh, there were some really funny moments I liked in this issue too. Like, I love the part where Matt runs off 
and like Peter, Ben Yurick and Karen Page all have like the same yeah. thought where they're like, we have to make excuses for Matt. And yeah. it's funny because like they all know who Matt is, but they all don't know that they like each of them know. Yeah. So it's like that Matt, like he's always running off. Yeah. Like I hear he doesn't even get paid for all that extra work he does. Like, yeah. So like I thought um, that was really funny. I, I will say that like as far as the three comics that came before this out of the four tonight this is probably the most lighthearted daredevil we've seen like out of the issues we've read it's it's pretty much by design like this this run from kiesel and nord is exceptional it's really really good and it also sort of comes on the heels of like i, I don't know how to explain it but but think of it this way it, it th this was kind of going for either maybe the original like Lee Everett Daredevil stuff or you know kind of like when when Daredevil was like a wisecrack and Stan Lee character in a way you know like because th th it had changed so much you know like like basically the default Daredevil was you know Frank Miller's Daredevil by this point so all the issues we read before this and all the various runs you know whether it be you know Fall from Grace or you know Born Again or you know the and Nocenti and and Ramita Jr. like they all had some really heavy dark you know street kind of serious oars like you know drama and and things like that and this was like the most refreshing breath of fresh air, like to come along in a while. And it was kind of really, uh, it, it was a really simple notion, but it, it worked extremely well. I mean, there was still some drama with the whole, you know, law practice thing and, and trials. And, and, you know, it's not like they didn't have really, you know, a very special, you know, like I, I remember when, um, when Pyro finally succumbs to the mutant legacy virus. Like, it's not like there's not pathos and, and, you know, moments of, you know, sadness or, you know, things like that. But, but I think they did a really good job kind of just making Daredevil fun again in this run. And it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a rare, I mean, I, I think now it's easy. The default for Daredevil usually is fairly serious, fairly street level. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think all those runs are great too, but I think this is one of those kind of rare exceptions to the rule, and they really, really did a good job of pulling it off. I mean, I, I remember reading this whole thing and just going, this is great. Like, I love this. On, on that, like, wavelength, like, I, I really like the conversation that, like, Spider-Man and Daredevil have where, you know, Ben Riley's explaining all the clone shenanigans to him, and he's like, yeah, like, you know, I... I've changed costumes and faked my death and like, you know, it's all been crazy. <laughs> it's it's almost like, like this issue is like, you know how we always talk about like apology figures and like, you're trying to make the figure better or whatever than the previous it's, one. It's like a cathartic issue. Yeah. Well, it, I, I feel like it's an apology issue for the whole, you know, I am the spider and it's like, bury the spider, Peter, bury or bury Peter <laughs> yeah. Parker, bury him dead, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that issue where Daredevil's all grumpy and shit and telling Peter Parker to abandon his secret identity and they're all grim dark, the whole fucking issue and everything. So this is definitely like an apology for that. I, I I almost I almost feel bad though for Ben Riley just because like I'm like you're not out of the woods yet Ben like I'm sorry to tell you this but yeah. like and it's funny because <laughs> this is like a when, reprieve <laughs> yeah well it's like when this issue was written 
like the Spider-Man team were definitely moving in the direction that Ben Riley was the original Spider-Man. You know, he was going to be Peter Parker. Like, you this know, this is from before now Peter on. Parker said, I want to leave forever. And shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm going to be, you know, they we're going back to classic Spider-Man tales. The clone saga is done. Like we have the original Spider-Man back. Like it's all done with, but you know, by the, t- like, this is when this issue was originally written. By the time this issue was actually published and released, though, the plans were probably starting to be made. No, we have to bring Peter Parker back. Like, Ben, we're going to kill Ben Riley in, like, six months. So, like, it's kind of almost yeah. like like reading it in retrospect. It's almost a little depressing. But, you know, like, like Derek said, though, it's kind of like, yeah, we're finally out of that crap. Like, you know, like, thank God. Like, one of my favorite parts of the, the this comic is the opening scene where, like, Matt is in this, like, altered state where like foggy comes in he's like you're in your costume he's like yeah so he's like and it was you foggy and then liz osborne comes in and he's like it's cool man don't worry about it you know and like it's like i i kind of like the 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 matt murdoch giving no fucks thing because he knows who it is and he's like yeah your husband's a great gal but what are you gonna say you know yeah (laughs) you know it's like he 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 is he's he's confident in this issue which is which is very rare for Daredevil. Daredevil, Matt Murdock is a very angsty character that we are familiar with from like like Derek said, the first three issues we were talking about. And in this issue, he just gives no fucks. He's like, I'm gonna go on a date with an angel. Bye. <laughs> you know. Oh, well, like I hadn't read this issue in years and years and years. And like when I revisited it, like I could have sworn I remembered that they fought Bushwhacker in this issue. But it's like some nobody dude named the shooter, and he that guy looked him up, and he never appears again after this issue. So, like, so now like, now that we've made all these comments about Denny O'Neill and Stan Lee, like I can't help but think, say, Derek, Derek, is this Jim Shooter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jim Shooter is the shooter. <laughs> he just wants to take guys. I was I was waiting for somebody to say it. I was like, is this Jim Shooter? Shooter well, he's, He is played as like a complete moron, like you know, and it, like he he gets such great lines as "You will have no life once you are dead." Like so. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's how I, it works. I, I wonder. I wonder if uh, Kiesel was one of the guys who was part of the burning Jim Shooter effigy or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's the other thing I was going to bring up there, because like, because uh, Kiesel was still uh, in Marvel in the '80s. Yeah, he's he's an old timer. Yeah, but it's fun. It's just funny because it's like I was like, oh yeah, Spider Man and Daredevil fought that the a blonde guy who uses like guns, and I was like, it must have been Bushwhacker or something. Like, but no, it was there was this guy. Like, there's Shooter. nobody. Yeah, so. Shooter. What are you talking about? They're going to make hey, him hey. the builder figure in the next wave. What do you mean he's a <laughs> the nobody? Shooter. One of the one things I alluded to beforehand, we were talking about uh, Armored Daredevil. Since this does co-star Ben Riley Spider-Man, the Clone Saga was a mess. It was it was uh, headache-inducing. But I have always had a fondness for Ben Riley's costume. Like even Scarlet Spider and his Spider-Man costume, I thought those were like two really good revamps. Like I I I know Scarlet Spider gets a little hate for the hoodie. But Ben Riley's Spider-Man with the web shooter bracelets and like the more blue and less red, I thought and that was the, a good the costume. Half, the half-finished boots. Yeah, yeah. 
Like I thought, I, I thought they looked good. I mean, you know, I have that figure in my Marvel Legends collection. You know, he, he he's Spider Carnage or whatever. He's like, you can make a Ben Riley or Spider Carnage, but I keep him as Ben Riley, and I, I I don't understand the hate for that. I think Justin would agree with that. You like the Ben Riley costume too, right? Yes. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a solid costume. Yeah, all you all you uh, '90s haters who hate the Ben Riley and and uh, Daredevil art, art, armored costume, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm, Justin, I'm have you ready you... to fuck myself right now? <laughs> 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 I, but having said that, I, I have two. I've got one as Spider Carnage and one as uh, Ben Riley. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, Justin, have you read this before? Oh yeah, this this was when I was buying the title month to month. Even if I wasn't buying the title, like I would have bought it, kind of like you, because it was Spider Man and it was during that whole like post-Clone Saga being as the real Spider-Man era, because I was buying a lot of those books, even even Stupid New Warriors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian's yeah, not like, here I, to defend him. You, you, yeah. you, had, you had me on your side just until now. What the fuck, man? <laughs> well, you, know, you know what's funny about that was I, I don't think New Warriors was doing that well in terms of, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't Mark Bagley anymore, and I don't think it was Derek Robertson anymore. So it's not no, like it, 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 it so the, the, it and I remember I remember at that point I kind of had fallen out of New Warriors for a while and and Scarlet Spider joining the team was like the only thing that got me to check out a few more issues beyond Hey, there you yeah, go. So you so go. it definitely worked. Kind of like Derek was saying like I this is a pretty good era of Daredevil comics. It's been a long time since I've read anything from this era, but I do remember like really enjoying this run. Like there was a lot of drama going on during this era too, because like I don't know, Mike and Tony. Like, do you know who Rosalind Sharp is? Because that's kind of like a big it's reveal later. Mother, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. they kind of like play it cool yeah. here for a while, but they everybody was like, oh, but what? Like you know, it's your mom, bro. <laughs> But yeah, these were some good comics. I remember enjoying these when I was buying them. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, don't, I remember not finding that out till much later, like after I had bought this issue. But I was like, oh, okay. Then like, and then rereading the issue, you know, you kind of get all the like, you know, all the subtle hints about it. Where Foggy's like, I got into law because of her, like, and stuff yeah, and like that, that. That scene near the end where like Matt is kind of talking to her, and he like accidentally on purpose hits her with his walking stick i was like yeah i remember that like i remember that confrontation because it's you know he's like that's his way of like kind of getting her back and he's he, he says oh maybe you should stay out of my way but uh, i mean of course you know what he actually means because you know he of course he did it on purpose so i was i remember reading that as a kid i was like oh man you sneaky devil like i see what you're doing <laughs> all all four of these issues that we've covered tonight have done a really good job of solidifying the fact that Matt Burdock is pretty much a ladies' man. Uh, this is nothing like you should see some of his later like romantic entanglements. <laughs> yeah, 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 like he, like you know, like Matt Burdock is apparently just a chick magnet, you know, quote unquote. Is like because we we've gone through Typhoid Barry, Karen Page, O'Brien, right? O'Brien, O'Brien, yeah, yeah. All his girlfriends either die try to kill him or like Orchid go AIDS. crazy yeah like or, or or that yes yeah I'm, I'm sorry folks this is not me being mean but karen page did have aids for a minute for some reason and <laughs> they, they figured it out <laughs> what's her face they, they figured Frank it Hill? out she died and didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> yeah 
She died from <laughs> she died from AIDS and Bullseye's friggin' like you know whatever Billy Club he threw in her chest. I don't know which one was the the bigger cause of it, but. But, she, but she's she's feeling much better now. <laughs> Didn't um I was no, gonna she's say still like, dead. <laughs> she's yeah. dead. She's dead. She still is. I know. I'm just I'm just trying to make people feel better. Shut up. That girlfriend he had from Miller's run, I forgot her name. The rich one. Didn't she end up hanging herself or something? The short black haired one. I can't remember her name, but she was like a rich like heiress, and she was like all like. I don't know. She was all goofy in the head, but eventually, like, she ended up like killing herself or something. I think that's the one that calls Ben Affleck at the beginning of the movie. I yeah, can't remember her yeah, name I though. Can't th- I can't think of her name either. But well, you see, that's the downside of being Daredevil's girlfriend. Like, you're really hot, and you're trying to Daredevil, and you're like, "Oh, he's a nice guy. He's blind. I'm going to die, aren't I?" That that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, Date Daredevil, you die. <laughs> Well, what's her face though? <laughs> that most recent girlfriend he had probably made off the best. Didn't she get her like memories erased of him or something? Well, she had a mental breakdown and she went into a mental asylum. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I she's still alive, I guess. So yeah. Positive so. outcome. She's <laughs> she's she's peeing on a floor, but she she actually can't pee on the floor and not under the ground so (laughs) one last line i wanted to mention that i really loved and like not just because it's a funny line it's just it's such it's such a good line that demonstrates how much like carl kiesel understood like daredevil and spider-man's relationship and their like overall position in like the marvel universe where like you know daredevil's kind of like you know almost mock helping the shooter to like shoot at spider-man and Spider-Man's all like, Daredevil, like, Dee Dee, I thought we were buddies. I thought we were the two-man volleyball team of the superhero set. Like, <laughs> like I love that line because it's like, you know, you, you when you think of, like, the major Marvel, like, institutions, it's like, you know, you've got the X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and then it's like Daredevil and Spider-Man. Like, you know, and there are obviously other people, but it's like, it reminded me of, in John Burns' run when they fought Galactus and Daredevil and Spider-Man just like sit up on a skyscraper eating popcorn and watch like the Fantastic Four and the Avengers like fight Galactus and they're like you know we'll swoop in if they if they really need to but it's like this is out of our league like so but like I, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. I, I was about to say that, that that's one thing I've always like kind of enjoyed about Daredevil like as far like you know we we've talked about this he has radar sense but he's still a guy and Spider-Man is superhuman. He he does have special powers. You know, he's a you know metahuman or whatever you want to call it. And Spider-Man is piled around with the Avengers. He's piled around with uh you know Human Torch. They're they're friends too. But honestly, I, I agree with you, Mike. I think the person he most relates with is Daredevil. He's like, dude, you're just like me. You you just go out there and and like you know do the best you can. And I, I I've always liked spider-man and daredevil interacting with each other i I think that seems you know genuine it's like they they appreciate each other's you know abilities and they they don't they don't give each other shit you know it's like they're actually friends you know like johnny storm is like you know like i can light on fire spider-man's like yeah i know shut up (laughs) it's like yeah you're the human torch you can make a nova burst like daredevil's like i can't fire webs and like you know, Spidey's like, if I was blind, I'd be fucked. You know, <laughs> they're, they're, they 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 have they have respect for each other. Yeah, yeah. 
So since since Matt's such a ladies' man, I just decided to look it all up, and and we're, oh, we're actually we're actually not keeping everything quite straight. But what Mike was talking about was Heather Glenn. She's the one who was oh the yeah socialite yep. that that killed herself, and she's the one that leaves Ben Affleck a voicemail. It's like Matt, like you don't call me. Like what's up? Let's break up or whatever. In the beginning of the. Uh, daredevil movie and then i think when you and justin were having a conversation you're talking about two different girlfriends because i think when you said the new girlfriend the the one that ends up in the asylum is the one that he marries the one her name's mia oh um, yeah the, donovan the blind one yeah so yeah. she's the one that ends up in the asylum all certifiable or whatever and then but I, i'm thinking you meant mike Kirsten McDuffie, the lawyer girl. Yeah, that's and that right. was yep. in the Mark Wade run. And then after the Mark Wade run ended, it's kind of like she did get her memories, kind of semi. It's like it's like she was part of the package oh, oh. with the purple kids, kind of like wiping everybody's memory that everybody knew Matt Murdock was Daredevil. I think. Man, Derek, is this just like a rabbit hole with like fucking creators and editors and stuff? Because when you said that name, I was like. Was that a reference to Joe McDuffie? <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they're, they're, it's like everybody take pot shots and daredevil at people. <laughs> <laughs> like fuck you, shooter. Fuck you, Joe McDuffie. Fuck you, Stanley. <laughs> like, is, if you ever want to, is daredevil gonna get a girlfriend named like Standra, and she's gonna be like <laughs> awful and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I went out with them all, Daredevil man. <laughs> I created them all. <laughs> hey, Foggy, this is our new like uh, uh, intern. He's a cool guy. His name is Johnny Liefeld. Oh my God, he just got shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I know uh, one one last question I had about this, like to either you know Derek or Justin or whoever was reading the stuff at this time, like. And maybe like I can't even remember, but like I I know that it's a, it's a running joke that like everyone knows like Daredevil's like secret identity, like even even like the public knows basically, but they like you know <laughs> right. no one can prove it or whatever. But it's like you know Ben Riley like even says to Daredevil like uh, how can I prove like like I know who you are, and he's like oh you're a blind lawyer, and Daredevil's like 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 everyone doesn't know that, but like uh I was I was trying to think like. Well, I guess maybe Peter told Ben that he was Matt Murdock, like for for sure. But I don't know what was Matt Murdock's like secret ID like status at that time. Like, was it like still kind of shaky or? I don't. I don't think so. Like, I think that he was. It wasn't like during the Bendis years, and it wasn't like the first time he got outed too. Like, it was kind of. You know, I think both those genies were put back in the bottle by the time this run, or or weren't let out of the bottle by the time this run was going on. Okay, yeah, I, I guess then I was just kind of like, man, like Peter, why are you giving away everyone's secret identities? Like, like I I know, I know you can trust Ben Riley, but it's just like you know, oh by the way, Daredevil is Matt Murdock. Like, oh okay, that's good. <laughs> it's good to know. Like that was totally unprompted, but thanks, Pete. Like, <laughs> you're a good friend. <laughs> 
Well, then again, I guess Matt Matt Murdock can't really talk because he's in what is it like New Avengers number four or whatever. He's like talking to like Steve Rogers and he's kind of like he's like, did you talk to Peter Parker yet? And like Steve Rogers is like, yeah. And then Matt Murdock's like, oh, crap. Like, do you know who Peter Parker is? And Steve Rogers is like, yes. And Matt Murdock's like, oh, good. Don't tell him I just told like outed (laughs) him to you. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever notice how Ghost Rider's skull is a perfect match for Johnny Blaze's skull? <laughs> Do you ever notice they wear the same blue jumpsuit with a white pinstripe on it? <laughs> and Johnny Blaze's motorcycle is the exact same as Ghost Rider's, only yeah. it isn't on fire. Did you <laughs> Did you know that Johnny Blaze was the burn victim? <laughs> I think I think Madcap was the burning victim. And Badcap was the burn victim. Who was the burn victim? It was Madcap, old lady. It was Madcap. Alright, well, I think that about wraps up our discussion on Daredevil tonight. We definitely hope you're enjoying Daredevil Season 3 by the time you're listening to this. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? And if you enjoyed listening to this show, we hope you consider checking out the backlog of our shows over on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. In addition to this show, we've got all kinds of other spin-off shows. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, where we talk about the Gundam franchise. We've got Transformers Tuesdays, where we talk about Transformers all the time, every time. We've got Toku Thursdays. We've got Sentai Saturdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, and the Fanholes podcast proper. So you, if you've enjoyed this show, we hope you consider checking out all the others. And we, of course, are on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback, likes, and good reviews. And until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC, smacking you upside the head with his billy club, signing off. I'd sign off, but I just took massive head trauma from (laughs) Derek's billy club. This is Justin reminding you, Jim Schroeder was right. And this is Tony. I'm reading these comics in the rain. They're beautiful. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're just garbage now. For a second, and then I guess we can transition over into uh, the uh, into Mike's issue. All right. Okay. I got I, I got to pee anyway, yeah, so yeah. that's good. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Okay. Dokey. All right. All right. Come on. Son.
Oakley doakley. I think I'll just pee in my pants. <laughs> pee in your pants is the coolest. <laughs> it's the coolest. I don't know, Oliver. I don't know if that's a good idea. Okay, I'll be back. Oliver, I don't know if being in my pants is a good idea. <laughs> I'm going to start a civil war now, Oliver. Pee in your pants, civil war. 